Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. My name is Jenna Filipkowski, and I'm the head of research here at HCI. I'm joined here today by Juliana Stan Campiano, CEO of Oxygen. Oxygen is the sponsor of our signature series research. Welcome, Juliana. Thanks, Jenna. It is great to be here with you today. So we just spoke last month in your webcast, and you cited in that deck that businesses spend $140 billion on corporate L&D. Do you think C-level leaders feel they're seeing the right impact for that enormous amount of investment? <laughs> so I think um, it, it is a huge amount, and you know, across different industries and different company sizes, obviously that number shifts. But um, I believe that most C-level executives that we talk to know that there has to be an investment in people and helping people to you know learn something new or have new skills or knowledge in order to help their businesses go forward so i think from that perspective there's definitely a view from the c-level that they need um, to invest in the people and it's the right thing to do Um, yet in terms of this question i don't know that they always see the impact that they're looking for through that investment and I don't know that, you know, that that's necessarily, it's, it's nobody's fault right now. It's just how do you judge, you know, or how do you um, really measure that impact uh, if you're the CEO and what does it mean? And I think a lot of the measurements that we've used in the past just aren't, they don't actually measure the impact of the investment, but they measure things like people having showed up to different classes, um, you know, more of kind of the check the box things that we see versus did somebody go away and do something differently or do something that is going to be aligned to what the business strategy is based off of the learning that they got from whatever it was that they went through, whether it was an online course or whether it was instructor led or virtual, you know, that investment in that um, way did something shift in a positive direction for the business. And that's a much, much more difficult thing to measure, but I think it definitely is possible. So I don't think that C-level executives are able to see that kind of measurement from what's being produced um, by the different people in the organization in order to move the business strategy forward. And I think that's something that we need to focus on as we move forward. I definitely agree with you. And in the research that we produced together, we saw that most learning professionals are not measuring much beyond those smile sheets or those reactions or just attendance. But we know that there's definitely an interest in talent analytics and learning analytics and because we want to get better. We want to be able to show that value. So what advice or what, what can you share for people who are starting their learning analytics journey about how to get better at doing this? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and I think um, to your point, like there's so much opportunity. Um, and when I first started looking at this, I think I think I thought that I needed to have something really sophisticated to measure. Um, and by that, I mean like some amazing business result. Like, what was I going to show that I could drive? Um, and as I continued to do the research and talk to clients and look at what um, the expectations are on different people, I have kind of a twofold thought on this area. A is, um, I don't know that it's very clear for most organizations, if there's a corporate learning function or a learning role in an organization, what span of the lifetime of a role are they actually responsible for helping? Um, And in, in doing this and having these conversations, it's gotten really clear in my mind that that's not clear actually for a lot of people. And, and this learning function or learning role kind of comes the dumping ground for like every expectation we have on the people in our organizations to do something differently. 
And I don't think that's possible. Um, I think that's uh, totally not a realistic goal to have. And so one aspect is I would love, and, and I work with our clients to get really clear on what it is from a skill set and knowledge, et cetera, um, what part of the role's lifetime are they responsible for? And in my mind, that's really probably the first year to 18 months that somebody's in a role. Um, there may be a large uh, footprint from a corporate learning or, or corporate uh, role perspective in helping that person to achieve the outcomes and, and be successful in that role. And really beyond 18 months, I see it as a manager's role to help, you know, the other aspects of the business to continue somebody's development throughout the time that they're in that role. So I think that's one aspect. And if what's interesting is that if you get really, really specific on that timeline, you can say, this is what we can cover from a learning um, perspective, from a corporate perspective, versus what somebody needs to be um, helped with on the job or specific needs individuals may have that can be more one-offs that managers can help manage through the coaching conversations that they're hopefully having with their people. Um, and, and so it sets everybody's expectations, right? Then it sets the manager's expectations. It sets the organization's expectations about what the learning function or the learning role is responsible for. And then you can start to measure that, right? So it's like, so if we're responsible for the first year to 18 months in a role, let's then break that down more and let's say at four months, we would expect somebody to be able to do X. And what is it? And what I learned along the way, and this is you know kind of the funny part, is like those things don't have to be major. They just have to be relevant for the business. So in a services role or a sales role, um, it could be that somebody in the first four months is ramped, say, to quota. Um, or is ramped to be able to have X amount of customer conversations if you're a services rep. Um, if it's a learning professional, it's like, uh, you know, if they're an instructional designer, say, they have to be able to create X kind of engagement within a module that they're producing. So you just have to pick something that's going to make an impact to the business and then work backwards from that to help create the learning for it and then also to be able to measure it on the flip side. Um, and then it's, you know, okay, in, in the next four months, what are the expectations if, you know, again, if somebody's in an engineering role, say, the expectation is that they're able to code at X level eight months into that role. And, uh, and, and being able to just kind of be simple about it and have something to measure makes it so that you can start to see the business impact and the changes that you can make. Um, you know, you don't have to set this in stone. I think that's something that is also not something that we're necessarily very good at is what's the flexibility with this? It's like, hey, if that measurement isn't working or if we're finding that people are really taking a lot longer than we expected, this is great insight for us to know, A, it takes a lot longer to learn this or how can we set things up differently so that people can have a more rapid um, ramp to this measurement or we just need to know that it's gonna take somebody 10 months in role before they're actually able to hit something you know, a business metric that we're really interested in them hitting. And let's now be realistic about the fact that that's how much time it takes and know that um, if the people aren't hitting it until 10 months, that that's fine. And, but we can now expect that and plan for that. So that's maybe a little bit of a long-winded way of explaining to you the, uh, the advice for, for the learning analytics beginners. Um, 
you know, breaking it down into its smallest part is probably uh, the easiest and the hardest thing to do and being very clear about it. Yeah, I love all that. I love what you said about setting expectations. And we saw in our 2018 research that for learning to be a value to the business, it should be more than compliance training. So how do we get there? How do we make this transformation? And what new ways of working are needed for the learning professional? Yeah, so, you know, I think what we heard from a lot of um, C-level executives is that the default is that the learning people are responsible for compliance. And um, I will say that I think compliance is wildly important and probably a little bit underrated from a learning professional view, um, mainly because it's really not very sexy, right? So it's not very entertaining to to create um, compliance-based training, and you're creating something that a lot of people don't want to do. Um, my view on compliance is that let's just let's recognize it for what it is. A, it keeps our companies out of um, you know court, so it's why it's that's so important, right? Nobody wants their companies to be in court because then it just takes all the attention away from what it is that they're actually trying to do for for the marketplace. And let's just know that that's what it is, and let's make it as easy as possible to get through and for people to, you know, be able to check the box and say yes, I did it, and yes, I passed. Um, if, if we're able to do that and, and and kind of give it its own box to live in and to be successful in because it's so important, then you can move into um, different things for from a learning professional's perspective that are maybe less tangible but um, very relevant for the business to be able to start figuring out. My belief is that moving forward, we've been going through this digital transformation, right? We're in the age of everything moves very fast. Um, there's loads of content out there. Um, there's all sorts of technology that you can use in order to achieve some result. And I think from a new ways of working for the learning professional specifically is we have to be way more agile and iterative in nature. We have to show our work um, much more often to people that are going to consume it to, to receive feedback, essentially in order to make it relevant. Um, things are moving so fast, we have to create things that are easy to update and keep fresh. I think we all know that the minute that content is not accurate, um, somebody's going to switch off and not be interested in what it is that we're producing, and we become irrelevant so extremely fast. Um, and some of the old ways of working is that one person takes offline some very large project and kind of comes out three months later and has this really pretty shiny thing, but we don't actually know if it's meeting the needs of the business. So. I love this thought of just, hey, you don't have to, you don't have, I don't expect you to have the answer. I don't expect what you are doing to be perfect yet, but let's work together to get to whatever the right answer for right now is, and then let's publish that, and then let's watch it, let's gather feedback, and let's do small updates as needed to keep it relevant. So as this the evolution of the learning professionals shifts into these new ways of working. And I love how you said, like, let's work together. So what's the role of the business or the business leader in this, in this change? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, you know, I think as we all move forward, I think what we're seeing is that we really have to collaborate together to be successful together. And I think that there's an evolution that we're probably slowly seeing happen. Um, and I think performance management is, is, is a lot of this kind of crux for many companies, especially the very large companies. Um, as we've all seen, a lot of the very large Fortune 100 companies have been on, you know, rating scales, one to five, 
um, and it's a bell curve and every, you know, everybody within a group has to sit on that. And so everybody has to be dispersed across this bell curve. And that performance management system does really nothing for people collaborating together because it always means I might hold back a little bit of something that I know in order to be a little bit more successful than my peer, because I know that that's, that's how this works in this industry. And a lot of companies have been moving to a non-rating scale and it's about the how and the what of what they do. Um, and it's conversational based and it's manager coaching led, I would say. And so then there, there's very little surprise and it's more about how are you doing your job? How are you interacting with people? You know, are you leaving a bunch of dead bodies in the wake of what you're doing? Or are you bringing people along with you? And then what are you producing? Is it making the impact that we need? Is it hitting the mark for the business? Um, are you pushing the boundaries and helping us move forward? And I think bringing those two things together um, makes it much more important that we work with different business leaders on this journey to understand what it is that they need. I think that a lot of times what business leaders need and what the learning function or learning roles produce is not the same. And we have to listen to the business leaders. They know their business. Um, we don't necessarily know what it is that somebody needs to know or do to be successful for them. But if we work together, we can make sure that we're creating stuff that is going to enable that, uh, that business. And it's, you know, it's not just the business leader. We need the business leaders to be setting the vision and, and what's the goalpost and where are we headed to and what do you expect of your roles? And then it's everybody else that works in that organization, you know? And so I think the, the makeup of teams is gonna become way more cross-collaborative in nature. And we've been doing a lot of work and, and we find it very successful actually to say, hey, you know, we're learning people. We're gonna bring to life the knowledge that you have and this, you know, from your subject matter experts, from the clients that you have, et cetera, in order to package that up and help somebody be successful in their role. And that's a very different um, approach than, hey, I have deep expertise in this area of manager development, say, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring all the stuff that I know and tell you how to do it, and then you're gonna be better. I think that's the, the old model. And I think a lot of business leaders, you know, some of them will shut down to that tune because if it's not relevant for their business and how they need to work and the customer impacts that they have, um, then it doesn't matter how amazing the content is or how amazing the delivery of it is, uh, it's not gonna help make the, the business impact that we're looking for. So I think bringing together kind of the meeting of the minds and saying, I do, you know, I, I do know a lot about it, but let's pull out the pieces that I know about it that are gonna be helpful for the business. Let me understand how your business runs and the people in your business. And if we can combine those two things together, wow, we're a powerful force to help move this company forward. I like that. It goes to your point you made earlier about you don't have to have the answer right away. You go work together and build it and find it together. Um, I, I'd love to hear a story from you or share an experience where you have your team has listened to the, its audience and de delivered content that's valuable and relevant. So I would just love to hear a story or experience that you can share based on those. Yeah, that's great. You know, so it's always funny because I think some of the earlier stories probably make the most um impact because as you as you start to work in a new way then people start to expect it and it becomes less like um filled with moments where you're like oh my gosh this is so great and this you know this is what we learned but um 
about three years ago, we started down working with our clients in this new way where it was very collaborative. And uh, it wasn't easy in the beginning because people just weren't, weren't used to it, right? So we went into a Fortune 100 company and basically broke all the processes that they were used to using for development because it just wasn't going to work anymore. And we were being held to a metric. So it was, it was for a global onboarding program. We were being held to a metric. It was for salespeople. There were six different roles and they had to hit productivity. Um, and where it was originally, they were hitting productivity at nine months and the company was really interested in shortening that amount of time because these are roles where people don't necessarily stay for a long time. So we wondered, and we don't know yet because not all of the, um, the timeline hasn't gone by, but we wondered if people ramped up to be successful in their role faster um, from a hitting quota standpoint, would they stay in role longer than the average of about three years? Because um, that was one of the goals as well. So, you know, going in and working from that business outcome versus a, hey, our people aren't good at negotiating and we need a negotiations class is a very different um, approach to working, right? And so we knew immediately that we didn't know how to get somebody to ramp to quota because we don't know the business inside and out. And I think that there's, um, I think a lot of learning functions and, and learning roles feel this pressure to know the people that they're supporting so well to be able to provide the answer up front. And I think if we, we kind of took that angst away and said, hey, we don't know, but we know that we can create an awesome experience where people are going to learn, retain, and be able to go and take this information and go do something to be successful in their role. We know we can create that. What we don't know is we don't know um, how <laughs> they're going to get there, and we need your help. And so we set up a very new process. Um, a very collaborative way of working, and we started doing what we called contribution sessions. And um, this was kind of after we had broken down with some of the stakeholders everything somebody needed to know and do only to hit quota at four months. So we, we worked with um, different business stakeholders in order to assess what that was. And then we worked with a huge variety of people across the organization to basically pull in the content, that subject matter expertise that we didn't have, to then be able to go and create um, what was an online experience. Um, and I would say online experience not as an e-learning, but as smaller modules, something that could be updated and changed very quickly, and also wasn't going to take somebody an hour to go through at their desk. But it was maybe 10 or 15 minutes of online material. And then a literally a, okay, now that you know that you need to go set up that meeting, and these are the people that need to be involved, and um, this is how these are the things that you need to accomplish. You need to go set that meeting up and go have that meeting and talk about your accounts, whatever it was, um, and go do the, these things. And then have a debrief with one of your peers afterwards that's been in the role, you know, in that role longer and get any feedback and then come back and continue on your journey. And so, you know, we set up these collaboration sessions with people and they would walk in and the expectation of them was kind of that they were going to be told what to do because that's what they were used to from the organization. Um, and we didn't. We, we basically gave the same thing that I just told you. We said, hey, we have learning expertise and how people learn and retain information, but you have the content and we need to extract that from you. Um, and we would spend 60 to 90 minutes with them and literally just whiteboard out um, all the things in their head or their knowledge where they'd bring up, you know, information, send it to us on the spot in order to just meet these 
um, end requirements of what somebody needs to know and do to, you know, to meet whatever the theme was of that, what we called an episode. And, um, you know, the first few that we did, people were pretty hesitant about it, which was interesting, you know, and we got a lot of declines even for the meetings. But once we got people in the room and explained to them that we couldn't do it without them, and this is how we were doing it, they became so extremely engaged in trying to help us, which was fantastic. Um, and then we started to have fun with it. And then it was just a very, very collaborative um, way of working where once we got that, we basically we turned around storyboards in 48 hours, about 48 to 72 hours, depending on kind of the workload of the team, um, simply to ask them, is the content right? And we didn't do any development on what this could look like, you know, from a online perspective, was this video, was this animations, was this, you know, were we going to ask questions, et cetera, until we knew that we had the content right. And when the subject matter said, yes, that content's accurate, then the team went into development of what it could look like and how, you know, the best ways to retain the information. And then we, we worked just very quickly, very iteratively to meet that, you know, to meet the final delivery of whatever that was. Um, and the results that we've been able to see from a ramp to onboarding, uh, which is ramp to quota from an onboarding perspective has been phenomenal. So essentially what we've been seeing about a year post all of this launching is um, if somebody goes through the experience, they're at 130% of quota at the end of four months, which is a five months faster than they were ramping to quota before, and then 30% more than the expectation. And then if they don't go through, so they've got both, right? There are people around the globe that aren't going through. At the same point in time at four months, they're at about 80% of quota. So it's a massive difference for a company um, to see, especially from, a, from sales roles. Yeah, wow, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that and walking us through. It's interesting that you think if you take something offline and don't involve other stakeholders, you might get it done faster versus your approach was have everyone who's a stakeholder involved, do a lot of iterations, get consensus on the content first. It seemed to even go faster than if you just worked in isolation. So that's very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you as a learning and enablement professional and leader, what are you most excited about for this profession and in the future of the industry? I heard you say fun a bunch of times in your last response. So what are you most excited about? Um, I think that there are a lot of people out there that are doing great things. And, um, and I think we're breaking down some of the silos that we've been in. And, and I think that that means that our profession's going to, to just continue to grow and to be more integrated to the business and into creating business success. And I think if, um, you know, I think a lot of people that I see out there are trying to do things in a new way, and that's awesome. And, I, you know, I get pinged on a regular basis and asked a lot about it, and people are curious to change. And I think that, you know, seeing that gives me so much faith and, like, hope that we're going to turn this corner and be um, just as relevant as we have been for the last 50 years, you know, into the future because it's needed. You don't, you know, unfortunately, we don't graduate from college and just have all the skills that we need to do a job. And, um, you know, I think that, that that's how it was for a long time is that people expected, well, I got this education, I should be able to do this role. And um, instead, you know, there's a lot, there's so much more that we all need to know um, to be able to, to do something, especially as markets change and the ways in which we work change. Um, and I believe, at the core people want to learn 
and they want to be better at what they do. And we're just seeing that that that's growing that much more. And it's that much more imperative that we continue to work together as we move forward. And, and I think we're just, we're set up to be, you know, to be able to run forward with business and really help and have a lot of fun in the process. Well, thank you so much for a great conversation, Juliana. Yeah, thank you. This is great. <laughs> yeah. We'd also like to thank all of you for tuning in and encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed what you heard. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and the YouTube channel HCI Talent. Lastly, one more thank you to Juliana for enlightening our listeners. If you're interested in learning more of what we discussed today, you can find Oxygen's research and webcasts on hci.org. For 9 to Thrive HR and all of HCI, thank you for listening.